What would it mean for you to be truly visible, to use your voice and express your gifts in the way that only you can? What would it be like if you could receive the vision for your life that was designed specifically for you? Visibility School is coming. Join us, www.visibility.school. It's time. Iceland was one of the last places on earth to be settled by humans, but the first to elect a woman president. That president is part of the reason that Sigrun choose to do important work for women in the world. Sigrun is an online business maven, a master coach, and founder of the largest international conference for women entrepreneurs in Europe, Self-Made Summit. Nobody was looking or asking me. This was just me kind of getting this crazy idea I could be the CEO. I had no business background, no business education, but I got this crazy idea and it wouldn't leave me alone. Sigrun has never been afraid to follow her curiosity, to ask tough questions, or for exactly what she wants. Her journey from almost architect to self-made millionaire isn't what you'd expect, but it's definitely feminine magic. Hi, my name is Sigrun, and this is a lesson on crazy big ideas. What is your earliest memory of being creative? Oh, I think that is actually writing my first story that was published on national radio. Oh, oh my goodness. That's quite an achievement. How old were you? Six. Six? <laughs> oh, what was it about? It was about a cat. And I don't like cats. There was this idea that we should write a short story and they would submit it to the national radio. And by the way, we only had one radio station back then. <laughs> I come from Iceland and, you know, we didn't have a lot of radio stations, <laughs> only one when yes. I was six. And and they just picked random ones. I don't really, I don't think mine was the best or anything. I think it was. I think it was the best actually because it got chosen. I love it. Anyway, go ahead. It was just a moment, Alec. You know, we, we, we really listened to my story on radio. I was like, wow, I'm going <laughs> to be an author. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But you went on to get a master's in architecture. Yes. So what I figured out after deciding to become an author very <laughs> early on, that as I was growing up, I heard from my parents and others that being an author is not a full-time job. You can't live from it. Mm -hmm. Now, if I look at Icelandic authors today, we have se several millionaires. <laughs> but when I was six, it wasn't, wasn't a job. It was always a side job. You would always do something else. There weren't many people who could actually live from it. So they were just trying to be realistic with me and, and not have me live in some dreams that I couldn't realize. But it stuck with me. You can't live from being an author. Mm. So I started to look for other possibilities. I was very serious about this. Six years old, I needed to figure this out. So <laughs> by, by eight, I decided I could be a teacher because they have four months off in the summer. And then I couldn't write the books that I wanted to write. So this was perfect. 
But the problem was 11 years old, the teachers in Iceland uh, went on strike. And just before they went on strike, the teachers are trying to explain to the kids what's going on. And I asked, I asked a direct question, what's your salary? After they told me, you know, uh, oh, it's because of our salary, we're going on strike. And then he wrote a number on the board and it was 16,000 something. Now, 16,000 something is probably, I don't know what it is today, but let's say it's $2,000 or something. And I was like, wow. That's not a lot. <laughs> I, I already knew at age 11, that was not a lot of money. So I was like, yeah, I can understand you go on strike for that. But my dream of becoming a teacher and an author, that didn't look very good, good. to me. No, <laughs> not that I, I was all about money. You know, I've never been the one that money is the main thing. Although I teach women how to make money, but it's still, you know, you need to do what you love and I still wanted to reward it for what I did. Mm -hmm. So my dream came crashing down. I was not going to be a teacher. I was not going to be an author. I had to find something new. And I love to draw. And I thought, hmm, maybe I can do something with that. And on Sundays, my parents used to go for, we used to drive around. This was very popular when I was growing up in Iceland. There wasn't much to do, like, you know, cinema, there's no Disney World, there's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. And so my parents would drive around on Sundays and would look at new neighborhoods. I would get ice cream. So these were, we call them ice cream tours. We have a name for this in Iceland. (laughs) (laughs) It's an ice cream tour. You do it on Sundays. But isn't there snow? I think of Iceland as having a lot of snow. So we're eating ice cream, but there's no snow at this time. This must be summer. It doesn't matter. We eat ice cream any time of the year. The colder it is, the more ice cream we eat. We love ice cream. Uh, And so we were looking at new houses all the time. And I started to think, hmm, I can maybe become an architect. Mm. And then the more I thought about it, the more that sounded great to me. I could go abroad to study. I could come back and build nice houses in Iceland. So I saw my drawing skills and I saw it as a combination of science and art or being creative and thinking very logical. And that's how my brain works anyway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. I, I did actually decide at 11 to study architecture. And then 29 years old, I graduated an architect. Wow. And did you practice architecture at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I saw that you actually, you actually called up a software company and pitched them some services. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So I did work as an intern in the summer while I was studying. So I got to know the architecture job and I, I realized it's not a fun job unless you're, (laughs) unless you're the lead architect, unless you're the owner of the office, you know, the job is really maybe 5% design and the rest is meanings and, you know, fixing things. It wasn't as rosy as the study is. <laughs> right. Studying was amazing. That was really fun. And then I come back to Iceland and I started to work in a software company and I called myself an information architect. Yes, uh, love because it. I, I love display of information and I, I had an architecture degree, so I could really call my that. And then two years in this one, it was a startup they hired a lot of people 
and they were spending a lot of money and they were totally this dot-com boom software company. And after two years, I lost my job and I lost my job. I was one of the first to lose my job because I was the one to speak up and, (laughs) you know, (laughs) ask, ask questions like, uh, why do we spend so much money and we don't make so much money? <laughs> or, or why do we hire programmers that actually know less programming than I do? Mm. And it was a very bad time, 2002, to get a job. Right. Nobody really wanted to hire anyone. And I, I did a three-month course in how to write a business plan. Wow. I, that was the first time I got in touch with anything business-related. That was a lot of fun. So Mm -hmm. I took my business plan to a tiny software company with only 15 people where my sister was already working. So I knew about the company through her and she said it was amazing to work there. And they really didn't want to hire me, but they liked the business plan. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously through my sister, I had an easier entrance and they hired me as a project manager consultant. But the idea was that really I would get my own consulting gigs out of the company and they would benefit. But what happened was somebody left the company quickly after I arrived to go to parliament. She was voted into parliament and I took over all sales and the largest projects. And a year later, I come to work and the company has been sold and Mm. it's clear that the CEO will leave. And I felt it was just me and my sister running this business. It was still just a 15 people company. And I had all the contacts to all the clients. Of course, because uh, you were doing the sales. Yes. <sighs> and uh, C was in charge of the programmers, hiring and firing and telling him what to do every day. And I'm like, the CEO here doesn't really, you know, we don't really need him. <laughs> Can we just do this? So I asked my sister if C was okay, I would go for that job. Nobody was looking or asking me. This was right. just me kind of getting this crazy idea I could be the CEO. I had no business background, no business education, but I got this crazy idea and it wouldn't leave me alone. And I think that's when you have crazy good ideas, they come back no matter how much you push them away. Mm -hmm. So I started to do my research, just like that 11-year-old girl, you know, who figured out she could study uh, architecture in Germany. I figured out who had bought the company. I saw that I recognized one of the names on the website. I called the person up. We had played together when we were 10. She remembered me and I told her, I am in this company. I don't know if you have anyone in mind for the CEO job, but I would like to put my name forward. And she said, we don't have anyone in mind. Please write us a two-page memo and I'll see what I can do. I'll I'll put it in front of the right people. Mm. So I did that. And all the time, I'm very scared. People maybe hear the story and say, oh, yes, he's so brave. I... I was shitting my pants (laughs) (laughs) and doubting every step of the way, asking anyone I met, do I think I should go for it? Am I really good enough? You know, I have no business degree. I have no business experience. Why would they even consider me? But this crazy idea wouldn't leave me alone. So I had to, I had to do it. And a couple of weeks later, I take one day off from work because I'm studying on the side, computer science. And Exactly that day, uh, the owner of the company comes to take a look at the company and he has not paid it a visit before. And I get a phone call from my sister and she said, you just missed him. And I'm like, I'm feeling so like, 
I wasn't Ill. in the right place, <laughs> the right time. I was at home, right. and I knew I had to get a hold of him that day. I yeah. got a very, you know, that was intuitively like, either I get a hold of this guy today, or right. I've lost my opportunity. Yeah. So. I called my brother for some reason, not that he's so well connected, but just to get an idea how I could get a hold of the mobile phone number of this guy. Yes. And then I called up one of the companies that he owned and asked for his mobile phone number and they wouldn't give it to me. And I got his phone number. I call him up and I tell him, hey, my name is Sigrun and I'm working in this company that you bought. And I heard you came for a visit today and I wasn't there. So I really want to make sure that, do you have my memo? <laughs> and he said, yes, I have your memo. Uh -huh. Well, I would name, like to put my name forward as a CEO if you don't have anyone else in mind. And he said, can you meet in half an hour at a coffee shop? And you said, yes, of, of course. course I said, yes. So <laughs> yeah. I went there. He shows up with his lawyer. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, oh, this is serious. <laughs> and they asked me lots of questions. I couldn't answer half of them. But mm. basically to make a long story short, he hired me because he loved my boldness. Also the memo. I also brought forward in our discussions over the next couple of weeks, a budget. I had mm. thought it through like how we could, you know, increase sales and make the company uh, bigger and grow it. I still had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I, you know, I think this story is so wonderful on so many levels because entrepreneurs come from that creative space of bold ideas and they're following bold ideas. And it was what you said, I couldn't, it wouldn't leave me alone. And you kept following it and following and following your intuition and just not really knowing what you're doing. But I, I could argue, as you said, you were an information architect that that background you'd had in creating a structure for a building served you as you are going to create a structure for a business. Absolutely. I think what I'm doing today, I'm building businesses. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't see any of that time that I spent studying architecture wasted, I actually think it's an advantage because it's all about having a unique selling point or being different. Yes. And if everyone studies the same thing and goes the same path, well, then we all start to be the same. And what I loved even about architecture, uh, because you couldn't start the architecture in Iceland, mm. we, ha we have houses that all look different. Right. Because some people study in the U.S., some in Denmark, some in Germany. That's wonderful. It's so I, I think it's so great when people yeah. come into business a little bit later, like myself, or become an entrepreneur later in life. Yes. I see that as a huge advantage, and that makes us great at what we do. Yeah. I th that, And also there's the idea of being an outlier. Mm -hmm. Iceland is such a small country, but it's a, it, people know Iceland. And people, they're the people who come from Iceland, the people who make their mark from Iceland are memorable because they are the outlier. They are different. And that's, that's also, I think, another really profoundly wonderful principle of being a great entrepreneur. You talk about having business be your platform for creating gender equality among women. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, it started with my why when I was 16. 
I was brought up in the belief I could do anything. I don't think my parents really helped me back to do anything. But that wasn't like a gender thing. It was more like they just wanted to make sure I could have a good life. When I was nine years old, we had the first female president in Iceland. And she was president for 16 years. And to me, that was so wonderful because also she was single and had adopted a daughter. That's like me. So, <laughs> Except for I have a son. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yep. She was not just a woman being a president, but also, you know, not from a wealthy family, so not a politician, studied, I think, philosophy and theater or something like totally unusual for a president who is typically a lawyer or something like that. I really believe after she was elected that anyone can become president in Iceland. We now have an historian being a president. So that's how it works. I love it. Yeah. And my belief is even getting better. Like my parents tell me one thing, I see a woman be a president. But when I was 16, I did a a course in how to create my own clothes. I wanted to make my own patterns. And I have this eight-week course at a dressmaker's home. And there are these women and they're all much older than me. I'm 16 and they're more in their 40s and 50s. And so in the coffee breaks, they're talking among themselves and I just listen. And they're all talking about how they did not make their dreams come true. And it just goes on and on and on. And all the excuses that we know Children, getting married, not having the skills, time, money, whatever they had. But it was a lot about having children Mm. that that stopped them. And I took this so seriously. Remember, I was 16 that I decided not to have children because of this. Wow. Yeah. And today I have wonderful stepsons. I've been a stepmother for 11 years. They're now 15 and 16. So I did get to become a mother, at least part-time. Yes. And I do believe kids should be a reason and not an excuse. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're 16, you maybe cannot make this choice. Uh, Well, I didn't feel I could make these choices. I wanted to make my dreams come true. And whatever would stop me from that, I was not going to do. And I saw children as that. And I decided, well, I definitely want to get married because I saw my parents being happy in their relationship. And I I still decided I will never let a man stop me. Mm. So I made these two important choices. The third one was that I was going to do something about this. I did not want to be a politician, though. Right. But I wanted to do something in my life where women don't think like this. And I got very frustrated with society because I don't think men typically would have sat together and talked about not making their dreams come true. So I was also wondering, what is it in the society that allows them to use these excuses instead of saying, well, just do it? You know, this is interesting because uh, we're very similar. I definitely had this belief as well. It was unconscious for me. I knew I wanted to be a mom, but there was something that kept delaying the process, delaying the process. And getting frustrated when I hear when I would hear people say, well, I had kids, so I had to give up my dreams. Because from my perspective, and now especially, I'm very conscious of that language. It's not the child that makes you give up your dreams. It's your relationship to your dream and the way you're trying to execute it. You know, if you're if you're too busy to do your passion and you say because of your child, 
that's putting extra blame and unnecessary blame on your child that actually has nothing to do for the, with them. What it is, is your inability to manage your time is mm-hmm. preventing you from fulfilling your dream. And your child is one of your responsibilities. So what you need to do is change your relationship to your time management and change your relationship to the execution of your dream. You hear this all the time on on these these like sort of performance shows like The Voice or anything. Well, my mom had to give up her singing career because of me. And so I really want to make her dream come true, which we just are very used to this narrative in the culture. And I agree with you that this is a narrative that is more common and prevalent among women. Yeah. Because women had the expectation of giving up their their dreams to take care of their children. When in fact, I, I have said this on previous episodes, but I believe if you're called to have a child and called to have a career, there is a that they, they feed each other and that there is a way to navigate both. Yeah. And it wasn't until I after I started my business deciding to only serve women, although I do have a few men in my programs, that I realized that I was finally doing my why. Mm. I was helping women create their businesses and make their dreams come true. But then at some point, I realized this is not enough. Like, how can I have a bigger impact? You know, online business is great. And you have followers, you have clients. I worked with over 2,000 clients in the last six years. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, how can I expedite this? You know, I'm getting older. <laughs> how can I really have the impact that I feel, again, a crazy idea is coming. <laughs> <laughs> how can I really have that impact? And then I started to get this crazy idea of having a conference. Mm. And I started to think like, yes. If I think if I think back to just like let's say 15 years ago where even the idea of starting my own business was not in my head I was looking at the next CEO job I was thinking about an MBA and all that stuff I actually had a vision of yeah I will work a few years as a CEO and then I would write books and then I will speak on stages mm-hmm. so that came back to me as an entrepreneur that that stage has to be mine. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course I can speak on other people's conferences, but I have to create my own stage, my own platform and put my message out there. And that's how I'm going to have a bigger impact that goes beyond online business. It's about being visible. And it's about being visible in a way that actually reflects your values as well. Yeah, and it's not about me. You know, we build these personal brands and uh, when someone comes to my website, it, it feels it's very much about me and how I can help them. But when you have a mission that is bigger than you and you want people to come with you, you need to create some other platform where people can, you know, get along with you there. So my conference, which I called Self-Made Summit, People are much more inclined to to promote it or speak or come. You know, I have speakers. They're speaking for free for me. They want to help me. They want to spread their message. They believe in the mission. Mm-hmm. And I am finding all these women who said, Sigrun, I'm also doing similar things to you. It's just in my own way. And we would not have been able to cooperate necessarily through my online business as much as through 
this offline conference where Mm -hmm. people realize, oh, okay, she's not doing this to be more famous or make more money because, you know, (laughs) conferences is not really (laughs) where you make a lot of profit, but it's when you're called to do something and I I just, I, I need to do it. So I could have... I did think about like, oh, I can wait another five years or maybe 10 years until I have more followers, until I've made more money. But then I start to think, are these just excuses hmm. versus just put a date out there and the rest is logistics? Do you think that women lead differently? There is something about jealousy. And I don't know what to call it, but if you think of the caveman days, mm-hmm. you know, I think there is something in women that, they, that where we have to protect ourselves somehow, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then we're worried that we're giving someone else too much attention that they'll take everything away from us. That's the scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think it's underlying and... Uh, when you become aware of it, you can start to do something about it. You know, I sometimes see something and I'm like, ooh, she's doing that. And you you get these weird feelings of like, ooh, I should be doing that. And then you don't, <laughs> and then don't want to collaborate with the person because that's kind of like, oh, she might potentially. And this happens so, we're so, you know, this is like this, this gender bias or whatever. I think this happens without you really noticing But I'm very aware of it because what happened to me, I had some very dear clients that I had helped successfully build multiple six-figure businesses. And it started to happen that they didn't like how fast I grew. Mm. You know, my business has grown very fast. And, you know, within four years, it was a multiple seven-figure business. And the clients that start with me first for them, that was more difficult mm-hmm. than if somebody joined me now. Now, if you're listening and you have been my client, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's interesting because it, you, you think, though, they would stand to benefit from you having a bigger business. Yeah, but th- there is something, you know, and, I, and I, I, I truly believe we as women are working on this. And I know that I'm personally working on this. So... If I see someone where I where where something goes off, I, I feel some little jealousy going around. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be friends with her. Let's hop on a phone. Like <laughs> I, I'm fighting it, you know, on purpose right. because I think this is something really from the caveman days where we well, have jealousy. To do this. I, I do agree. It it is there is uh, <laughs> there is in our brain, you know, there is in our brain things that definitely operate this way. What I will say is that jealousy a lot of the time is an indication that you're not giving yourself permission to have something that you want and you see it, right? You see it on somebody else and you think, well, jealousy sparks. And I say, grab your notepad out and make a list because those are the things that you can have. And actually, I think that what it shows you is that they're close to you because if that person is in your sphere and you're able to see what it is they have achieved or what it is they have, that's possible for you too. Do you think there's feminine leadership then? I think women are fantastic leaders. 
uh, and I think we need definitely more of them. Uh, it is uh, shocking how few we have in the highest positions and how somehow women stop trying to go for the top job. I was a CEO for 10 years and I do think I was a great CEO. Now looking back, I could be even better because I've learned so much. Yeah. Uh, but balancing, you know, we, we look out for more things than I think uh, typically men do. Not that men are bad, but they have this, you know, testosterone and this, you know, like you said, competition and, and hierarchy thinking, whereas women are much more about let's all can find of common ground here and let's, let's, let's agree on things. And sometimes we have to be careful with that. If we are in tough business situation, we have to step out of that let's all agree on everything role and just be, you know, I'm taking a decision on this. So yeah, I went through it all through that decade of where I was a CEO, where I, I learned to, you know, become a leader. Many of them came to me and told me you're, you're the best CEO I've ever had. Mm. I don't think it was just me. I think it was because I was a woman. Interesting. I, I wish I could, I, I, I want to send out a, a little type form to all of them and ask the, the criteria of what they think feminine leadership is too, because I do, I do believe there's something about being a queen bee inside a hive. If you're running a company of all men, mm -hmm. you're, you're a queen bee in that environment. And the worker bees just want to serve the queen. So if I was going to ask you to complete the following sentence, my wish for every other woman is to always believe that she can make her dreams come true. You have all of the answers when you ask the right questions. Be visible. Speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. Our music was created by singer-songwriter Claire Hamill. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. You can join our community at Facebook forward slash Voice Lessons Podcast. And if you have a question or comment or want to suggest a guest, you can do it there. Or if you're on Instagram, tag us at Voice Lessons Podcast and use the hashtag LessonUp. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at VoiceLessonsPodcast.com. <laughs>